as we look at the seven churches, we find two that kind of set the example for us. Um, and this is one in particular is, is Philadelphia and how we should live. The church in Philadelphia happens to be one of those examples. And where we're going today, our main point is we must hold firm to the faith we have found in Christ Jesus by pursuing those characteristics about God found in the church of Philadelphia. When you find a good example in the Bible, you want to cling to it. You want to grab a hold of it and, and use it for your advantage because there is some principles in there that are profound that they make it last, they make it work, and that's where we want to go this morning. So the message to the church in Philadelphia starts like this in verse 7. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the king of David. What he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. And John, using his gifts and ability in writing that the Lord is giving him, incorporates another one of those Old Testament um, verses in here, and, that's, and that would be Isaiah twenty-two, twenty-two. Well, we find some characteristics of God here. God is holy and God is true. So what does this make you think of when you hear this? When you define the word holy, I really think of separate from evil. I think God is the only one that really sets that definition well. And he's the only one who is truly holy. Who do we have as an example of that? We have God the Father who wouldn't compromise to save mankind, but he created a solution. If you've ever noticed, God never leaves heaven. God never is out of holiness to be in the presence of sin. He creates an intercessor to do that, which is God the Son. While he was sinless, he remains sinless, and he is commended in heaven for being sinless. Jesus Christ is humanity's example of holiness. And of course, we have the Holy Spirit, and it's kind of in the name, right? Um, so the essence of God, God's character, it is who God is, is holiness. God is never changing, therefore he is holy. And that is encouraging to us because there's a standard that we can get back to in our souls. Our physical bodies will never get there again, but our our spiritual bodies, our souls, can reach and achieve holiness. And we see glimpses of holiness in our lives, and in that is the essence of what we've tried to achieve when, when Adam and Eve ate the fruit in the first place. We can be like God, and so that in itself can be a crutch when we see these glimpses of holiness so Maybe that's just your pastor speaking, but sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, I'm in the, I'm, I'm in the groove, I'm, I'm there. Or as a magician or a musician would say, I'm in the pocket, I'm, 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 with, I'm, I'm one with the Lord and the Lord is with me. It's uh, <laughs> taking one from Star Wars and modifying it a little bit, right? Um, and so 
But when I get there, then I'm out of the pocket because I've just gotten arrogant to declare. You know, somebody who's humble doesn't have to do that. Your pastor's working on humility, right? Um, praise God for his truth. And praise, praise God for the awareness, right? We talked about that a little bit last week because when we're convicted in that, that means that um, the Holy Spirit is coming alongside us to um, do the convicting. We also have the truth. And the truth we know as a powerful tool. It can hurt and it can help depending on its delivery. Matter of fact, the Bible says to speak the truth in love, and I think that is a cautionary tale that we all know. When the, speak, when the truth is spoken out of love, it can be very dangerous. It has the facts, it has the moral character to back it up, but it can also get on a high horse, can it? Also, there's truth that it can be relative, and when it's relative, that can be very dangerous because it is true to that person. It's true to, from that perspective, but that perspective is not always true. So it's kind of like when you get to somebody on a crime scene, they're leaning over the person in shock, and they have the knife in their hand, and they look up, and they see you looking down at them in shock. How in the world could you do that? And it's like, it's not what it looks like. Well, it looks like you just killed that person, right? But the truth is relative. The first one on the scene, and if you've ever seen any murder mystery show, they've used that in season one, one of the 13 episodes. It's not what it looks like. The hero of the story is there looking at the evidence, already into this case before he could prove himself innocent by having another witness there. Right, And so truth in its relative form can be very dangerous. And now you have hard evidence of sight versus a person's character in that case, right? You know that person's character, they would never murder somebody, but I see what I see, and so it's hard to dismiss that because I've been taught to look at the facts. And today's society, we don't even look at the facts. We just hear what the facts should be, and we declare them to be. And that's very dangerous relative truth, isn't it? Very dangerous. Because um, you look at any case um, where we society says it's wrong, and they're guilty, and they haven't even been on trial yet, because in our culture today, they're innocent until proven guilty, are they not? Even it, And we want to put them on trial right away. We want to declare their guilt, and that is so dangerous, is it? isn't it? So dangerous. They're, the facts have to come forward. Everything has to be produced before we put these people on trial. And that should be the same when it comes with our relationship with Jesus Christ. We should look at all the facts. We should look at the whole picture before we put Christ on trial. The truth can, it can be absolute as well. And absolute truth is what it is, but it can also be very dangerous if you're on the wrong side of the absolute truth. Right? If you are in sin... Absolute truth is going to convict you absolutely before a holy God. And so 
we have a separation from God, and all this is important to set up the next step of what the church has done. So if you are right and you keep gathering the facts, the truth will come out. Like a painting, it will reveal the whole picture. It will reveal the whole story as the artist continues on the canvas. So God created the whole story. God knows the whole story. He reveals it to the world through his word. Therefore, we are serious. Therefore, if we are serious about our relationship about God, we need to take serious the word of God. All of it, not just the parts we like. It takes some serious study. We have to know the why. We can see that it's in God's word, but we got to know why it's there. There's reasons for it. Since Jesus Christ is holy and true, he has earned the right from God the Father to hold the keys of David, a.k.a. the keys to the kingdom. He speaks, this, in a sense, speaks to Jesus' authority. And if you want to know more about Jesus' authority, just wait till we get to chapter 4. That's what the whole chapter 4 is all about. It talks about the throne. It talks about who's on the throne, who's going to be on the throne, who was on the throne, who's, who gives the throneness to the throne person. Lots about the throne. Well, that's talking about God's authority. And it's talking specifically about Jesus' authority. I learned that one on the drive home last night um, from Baruch. So I'm excited to get there. There's no need for Jesus to share his authority. He is big enough. He's strong enough. He's full of integrity. And he has character for days. And he proved it. Did he not? By walking some of the most treacherous road that any human has ever gone down. Knowing this, how do we then live? We know God is true. We know that he's holy. How is that going to affect us? What is it going to do to our character? Do we live like God is big enough? Do we live like he is strong enough? He's full of integrity. Or do we try to rely on our own integrity? Do we live like God is fighting our, our battles? Or are we fighting like we've already lost? There's a battle going on in our schools right now. They're battling, they're warring for our youth. They are trying to corrupt it with false teaching. And they will get into what they feel are absolute truths. And they'll try to bottom line that truth with one statement. The problem with that is, it's a lot bigger argument than one statement. But you can get results if you go after that one statement, can't you? Um, for example, if you say, there are lies in the Bible, are there not? There are lies in the Bible. People lie in the Bible. Yes, that's true, but that is a loaded statement, isn't it? So I don't want to answer that with an absolute yes. Well, why would you say that would be a better response to that? 
notice I'm trying to, where are they going? They have drawn a conclusion. I need to fill in the process of how they came to that conclusion. And so I'm not going to give them a firm yes answer. Um, I would agree that there are lies in the Bible, but I also agree that lying is wrong and God never lies. So to there, that's a loaded statement. Can we, can we agree with that? How, can you see how they would load that? They do that with many, many, many sins, right? Many sins. And they try to justify their behavior. How do we know that? How can we recognize it? Because we do the same thing. We try to justify our own sins. Well, it's okay to do this. And then we draw, well, I have to do it now. I have to do it. Because if I don't, it, it would, it would, the earth would be destroyed. You know, we try to, whatever it takes to make a grandiose statement, but that's what we do. So who sets the line? Who draws the line for this battle and, and this integrity? Integrity. Does there need to be a line that we're not supposed to cross? Does there need to be a standard? And therefore, who sets that standard? Is my goodness the standard by which we should live? Everybody in this room needs to live up to Shane's goodness. Right? That is such a wrong statement like just in the statement i've already lost because my goodness is not very good and that's what we talked about at the very beginning in the call to worship this morning is blessed are those who are poor in spirit and realize their need for god because when we have a need for god we recognize my goodness will never be good enough for myself let alone a crowd of 50 Never. I couldn't hold it. I don't have enough integrity in that board to walk on it. So we need a better standard. We need a perfect standard. Did God know that? Thank God. Thank God he did, right? He sent his son Jesus. You are my perfect standard, and we're going to use that standard to, one, fulfill the law, Two, to defeat sin and death at its core. And when we come out the other side of this, you will have all the authority because you are holy and you are true. Do you see how it all goes into a full circle and comes right back to where it was once again? It would be better if we had a perfect standard. The flaw of human standards is if... We think it's okay to believe what you believe, and I believe what I believe. You do you, and I'll do me. And your standard becomes your standard, and my standard becomes my standard, and that's okay. But that is so wrong, because we just discovered that my standard is flawed. So we can assume that yours is as well. I'm not, my standard's not wrong. If you get somebody that says, I have a standard, it's, it's above board, it's this. Okay, well then, my standard's wrong because I don't agree with you and I don't think your standard should exist. So therefore, you don't exist. 
I'm going to take you out. Now your standard doesn't mean anything because you're not here anymore, right? So we eliminate the competition because it's survival of the fittest. That's what we learned in school. Only the strong survive. And if only the strong survive, there's no room for compassion. There's no room for your standard. It's my standard because I'm bigger, I'm stronger, I have more whatever, and now I win. Do you see how that's dangerous? It's dangerous from either side, isn't it? Even if this one claims to be righteous, if he has the standard, we know he's not completely righteous. He can't fulfill the law. Only Christ can do that. And what if he is evil, all the more so that he cannot be the standard because it takes the standard so low that we can do whatever we want by the time. And if you can do whatever we want, it results in chaos. The truth has been crushed and has come to such a low standard that it's not, there's no truth at all. So there has to be something bigger than man. There has to be something bigger than society because societies were created by man. They will be corrupted. They will go by the wayside. And so there has to be a moral law giver. Has to be. There has to be something bigger than us that gives the moral law. And that draws to a conclusion. There has to be a God. So what kind of God do you want it to be? And if you want it to be a God of wrath, a God of judgment, there is plenty of world religions for you. But if you want it to be a God of love, a God that gives, and in his grace, and we, we come out of that standard, there's only one, one religion that desires to have a relationship there's only one religion that sent a God down to die for us, that set the example for us on how we should live. And that's Jesus Christ, and that's Christianity. So how do we live? We asked this question before, but Shane, you haven't said any application yet. You've just defined terms. Well, here's your application. I got four of them for you. Four truths. We hold fast to the truth that we find in God's word, right? That's your first blank on your sheet. We hold fast to the truth. Hebrews 2, 1, we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard or we will drift away from it. I've turned that into a rap song for myself, so that's how I remember that song, that verse. Craig had us memorize it, and he said, if you remember it next week, you will get $10. He said it once, and nobody was really listening except for Jay Icorn. Jay Icorn's like, that's easy money. I'll have that $10, please. And he got it. It was 20, wasn't it? I was pretty sure it was 20. Yes. But that's something that we want to reward. You're going to memorize scripture? It's worth $20. That kid hadn't forgotten that verse. It reinforced the memorization of it. We must pay, we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it. We must train our church and our youth how to stand up under the truth. We have to see the whole picture. 
It's going to be longer than a two-second answer. It's going to be at least a five-minute conversation. And that's if I'm trained and ready. Otherwise, it could turn to an hour because I'll ramble. <laughs> but we have to go back to where we can find common ground, don't we? We have to agree that I love you, and I don't know if you love me, but I, I care about you as a person. And when they understand that, now I can walk it from that standard to why I believe what I believe. Number two, we have to love our enemies. And this one's a hard one for me because when I was in high school, I had enemies. I had people I knew that hated me. I don't have people I necessarily know that hate me. And if I do, I don't really care if they hate me. And so it's hard for me to have enemies. I really don't. I, it's, but here's the thing that I can hate. I can hate sin. And I can hate ideas that come out of sin. And so therefore, those are my enemies. Not necessarily the people that are talking the hate, but it's the idea of the hate. Okay? So when I... This was something that was an epiphany that I had to define this week. So when I love my enemies, I'm going to love the person. I care about them enough to let them know um, they are living in a false truth. And I have to speak that in love. I have to. Because I just said, love my enemies. (laughs) Oh, man. You know what that takes? Especially for me. It takes patience. A lot of patience. A lot of patience. Because I want a bottom line that's so bad. And that's a blessing to be married because sometimes I like to bottom line things in my marriage and my wife's like, how did you even come to that conclusion? I'm like, I don't know, I just did. All right, it's simpler. Just, just go with it. I came up with that a long time ago. And now I got to remember. But it's no different in my faith. Because a lot of things that I come up with a long time ago, but they're not there yet. They haven't approached that. I want to go beyond that. I want to go to the next level of my faith, but I can't remember the first level where I got there. Praise God for people like William Lane Craig that take it to the next level so I can go to the next level, but I can't forget where my community is. I can't forget where my junior high volleyball team is. I can't forget where my friends and my family and my youth group are, and sometimes my congregation. And so I got to be able to, to move a big spectrum when you get up in front of a people. And that's some of the hardest part. But I err on the side of deeper these days because it, it sets expectations for young believers that I need, I have, I have to, to do some studying on my own. And it, and it gives a challenge to the old, older believers that have gone past that is, hey, pastor, here's the next step to go. And that excites me, right? I haven't arrived. Have you arrived? No. Anybody arrived? No. I can barely love my enemies. <laughs> I haven't arrived. So an idea, a mindset, or a lifestyle, these are all... Do we always choose our enemy? No. Not, not if we define enemy like that. We definitely don't. We love the person. We love the potential we see in that person. And we want to bring them out of 
that lifestyle. So we guard our heart, our soul, and our mind in Christ Jesus. Amen? So Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 through 48 says, You have heard the, the law that says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true, true children of the Father in heaven. For he gives us sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain to the just and the unjust alike. If you love one of those who loved you, what reward is there for you? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you any different than anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect even as your heaven, your Father in heaven is perfect. That perfection comes in humility. It comes when you can put yourself in their shoes. It comes when you have the ability to look past the problem into that person's heart and restore them in a, in a loving solution. That is what he's talking about there in being perfect. Is that you can love the person in spite this front that they put on. You can love this person in spite of the idea that they think is great and grand and is the next new thing, which is something that's dangerous because it's the next new thing. Right? The next new fad, the next new um, world topic that we're going to blast out of perspective. We got to be careful. Perfect in love, agape love, to love unconditionally, to look past the, the conflict and look at the solution, to use the truth as an opportunity to unite and not divide. It, it's putting on the brakes on the conversation and finding common ground. Are we willing to love the brick wall that they just put up? Am I willing to lose this argument? to win this friendship. Hmm. I'm not going to lie to him, but I can ask, why are you asking that question? Do you see that's a little divisive between you and I? Can we get back to, let, let's back it up a little bit. Do you mind doing that? This is going to take longer than just passing in the hallway. Okay. I can't answer that sufficiently right now. We don't have enough time. But I'd love to come back to it. I'd love to Snapchat or whatever the, the kids do these days. Go to coffee. Can you do that these days? Yeah, you can. Go to coffee. Are you willing to lose the argument to win the relationship? Are you willing to be patient and earn the right to be heard? I haven't earned the credibility with this person yet. I need to back off this conversation a little bit, and I need to get to know this person on a personal level better. Because I've obviously offended them in some way that they're attacking me with what they feel is the truth. And now I need to come. Which brings us to point number three, coincidentally. Seek the truth. 
Matthew 12, 25, Jesus is talking about, um, they've challenged Jesus and um, about casting out demons, and he says, Satan doesn't cast out demons because he would be a kingdom divided, and so a kingdom divided by civil war is doomed, is what he comes to that conclusion with. Therefore, it's the same with our kingdom, the kingdom of God. If we're divided, then we're doomed as well. Satan knows this. Satan sees it. World powers see it. They see America standing strong, and they want to divide us. It's true. It's sad. But we have the truth, and we can speak it in love. We have to slow the conversation down, even when it's running away from us. Even when social media and the mainstream media are running with us, away with it, the truth is still the truth, and we can stand up under it. It doesn't mean we have to speak up. It means a lot of times we need to walk in obedience and get our serving gloves and clothes on, right? Because when we serve, we earn the right to be heard. The community sees it in the food pantry. I hope you see it too. I hope you see it in your daily life. A house divided against itself cannot stand. Seek common ground. What do you guys both agree on? Don't be baited into absolutes and ask good questions. When in doubt, when you can't think of any question to ask, what does a two-year-old do? What does a three-year-old do? They ask why, don't they? Why? Why do you why do you believe that? Why do you think that way? Why? It's a great question. Because a lot of times they can't answer it. Because it's something they've been fed, right? Finally, number four, practice what you preach. And I got this from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27. Do you not realize that in a race everyone runs? but only one gets the prize, so run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. Do it to win a prize. That They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching, to others, I might be disqualified. I like that. I'm not just shadow boxing. Is there some advantage to shadow boxing? Yes. But everybody's got a plan until they get hit in the face. That's what Mike Tyson said, and I think that's pretty much true. I could shadow box all I want, but as soon as I get hit in the face, I better change that pattern real quick or I'm going to get hit again. Right? And that is when we speak the truth. We need to speak it in love, and if it doesn't go through that time, then we need to change tactics, and we need to keep speaking in love, but come at it from a different angle. How can I convey to this person that Christ loves them, and that the standard that they are standing on is false teaching? You have to find common ground. We must hold firm to the to the faith we have found in Christ Jesus by pursuing these characteristics about God found in the church of Philadelphia. Our God is holy and true. 
Okay, we're going through the next much faster now that we've established this. Revelation chapter 3, verse 8 says, I know all the things that you do. We talked about that last week. That is comfort and makes me a little cowardice at the same time. I know all that you do. Oh, great. Praise God. Oh, man. And now I'm going to realize my goodness isn't good enough. That is not a bad thing. I'm going to fall to my knees. I have, an op- I have opened a door for you that not- no one can close. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. Praise God for Christians who can stand up on God's word. God is battle ready. God is battle ready. Our weapons, what are our weapons of spirit- against spiritual warfare? Where are we going to find that? We're going to find it in Ephesians chapter 6, are we not? Starting in verse 10, it says, the final word. Okay, so think about this. We studied the book of Romans, right? The book of Ephesians is similar to the book of Romans, but he's talking to believers, and so he can skip some of the stuff and then get a little bit deeper with some of the stuff. So he establishes that God is good, holy, just, fair, and then he goes into unity, marriage, job. All of this can be given honor to God, and when you get down to it, you have to fight powers that are bigger than us. And that's what we find is the full armor of God. In Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 10, read through 12, and then we're going to describe it, the rest of it, without reading the passage. Otherwise, I'd have to preach three sermons. I, I pulled this material from three different sermons, but I'm bottom lining it this morning. The, a final word, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put, put on the God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. There is bigger things going on under that question of your friend asking about Maybe it's about abortion. Maybe it's about homosexuality. Maybe it's about adultery. All those things are are wrong in God's sight. And God, if we take time and find out why, it makes sense. Our fight against the enemy will not be won by a few words. It will take long suffering and perseverance and prayer. Pray for those People. So we need to equip ourselves for a battle with the belt of truth. It holds everything together. The body armor of righteousness. So the way we live, our obedience is on our breastplate. It is there as a symbol for people to see, and it protects us under God's kingdom. We have the shoes of peace that come from the story of Jesus. It comes from the gospel is what it says, from the good news. Peace comes from the good news, folks. Isn't that exciting? Do you have the peace of God in your heart? You can share that with others. That is exciting to me. The shield of faith. 
So when we get down, when we're discouraged, we got to remember where we came from and who got them through those trials. Who parted the Red Sea? Was it Moses? No. It was God who parted the Red Sea. He happened to use Moses. Do you think Moses had to ever remember that? You think God ever had to remind him? Remember who parted that Red Sea? Oh, yeah. Yeah, maybe he shouldn't smote them then. And then it turns around and says, God's like, well, I want to smote him now. And he's like, no. Remember when you parted the Red Sea? God used it and Moses used it in the same context to save his people. Okay? We can use the, God's word the same way. We can remember, remind God. Remember, you said you wanted to save people. You don't want anyone to perish. I have a friend that's going to hell if you don't intervene. I've done what I can. I need you to step in. And God will either use you or he'll use the next person down the line. But it doesn't mean you stop praying, does it? Because you're using his authority when you pray. You're submitting to his authority. That's what prayer is all about. Right? Isn't that awesome? When you pray, you're saying, I can't do this. When you read God's word, you're saying, I don't know it. And that's okay. That is okay. Because he does. He knows the process. He knows the steps. He knows what it takes to get through this. That's our shield of faith and our helmet of salvation. We know who our commander is. And it ain't me. (laughs) You're like, thank God. but so am I, right? I'm more relieved than you are. You're like, oh, good. Praise God, Shane's leading the church. Oh, man, right? No, God is leading the church. Whew, gonna wipe these tears away. Can't read. The sword of the Spirit. He does not leave us without weapons. But what do we know about God's word? It is truth, is it not? The truth can be dangerous. God's word can be dangerous, especially to those who are in blatant sin. And so you got to cut that off very gently. Speak it in love. Speak it with the truth, but speak it in love. And pray. Pray in the spirit at all times. What does that mean? It means when you're going through your life, And when you're wondering, do you ever do this? I learned about this on the farm. It's so much easier to do the farm life with God rather than um, without him. Okay? How am I going to pull this weed out? I have no idea. I just, on the last, okay, this is my dad. Brian knows this. He can testify to this. My dad does not like wild mustard. Have you ever pulled wild mustard before? It hurts, doesn't it? Okay, there's a way to pull a wild mustard seed or a wild mustard plant. It's got little, it looks like little fiberglass slivers all up the thing. And the reason why my dad doesn't like wild mustard, because if you get one, the next year you'll have a thousand. If you have a thousand, you have a hundred thousand next year. And then pretty soon you have a patch of wild mustard. And if you have a hay field, that's not acceptable. Okay, especially to my father. He doesn't want to see nice yellow flowers out in the middle of a nice green, um, sometimes a little bit of purple if they go to bud. Hayfield, it doesn't happen, okay? And I've learned 
that you just go and pull wild mustard. And when you pull wild mustard, the best way to pull wild mustard with your hand coming up because then you don't, you don't grab, but uh, you don't get those slivers. But if you don't do it right and grab firm enough when you grab, you um, wear out your skin, right? And so when you're pulling like this all the time for eight hours a day and pulling those things, see, 15 years ago, I didn't pull enough because Brian was still doing it two years ago. He's like, you. <laughs> it was you, right? And so when you're pulling these weeds, you got to understand that there's a process and a way to do it without getting hurt, but it also hurts. You can't do it with gloves on. I've tried. You just pull the skin right off the, the glove. I, I, at least I don't have enough grip on my strength to, to pull mustard weed and that. And so I asked God, how do I do this? This is the process that he delivered to me because I involved him in the little things of pulling weeds. Here's the craziest weed pulling story you'll ever hear in your life. This is a throw your nets on the other side of the boat story. We're out pulling ragweed that's taller than me, this big around, and I'm like, how am I, I know I got to pull it out by the roots, or it's just going to seed, and I'm going to have this problem next year. So I got to pull it out. How am I going to do this? I'm pulling, and I'm pulling all my might on this thing. It is like a tree. I am not kidding. And God says, pull from the other direction. If I pull from the other direction, Lord, it's going to snap. All due respect, it's going to snap off, and I'm not going to get the roots out, and it's going to be here again, and it's going to do its job. He says, pull from the other direction. I don't know if you didn't hear me, but if I pull from the other direction, I just did it to the plant before, it's going to... He's like, do you trust me? Well, obviously not. All right, I'll pull from the other direction. I am not even kidding. I just went like this and pulled out. I, I was giving it all I had before. I grabbed it one hand, pulled it out, and I'm like, if he's that sure, it's going to come out just like that. And it did. And I learned to involve God in the little things, and then he'll be there for me in the big things. Trust and seek. God is battle-ready. We only have to tap into that. We must hold firm to the truth, to the faith that we have found in Christ Jesus by pursuing these characteristics about God found in the church of Philadelphia. Our God is battle ready. Verse 9 says, Look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say that they are Jews but are not, to come and bow low at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones I love. God is not only our salvation, but God is their salvation. Do we understand that? God wants them not to perish. God wants them to come to a personal relationship just like you have. God is their salvation. We are not. We don't have the answers all the time. We don't need to be right. We don't need to win the argument. We don't even have, need to argue. We have to look past the argument. We need to learn how to listen. 
We need to see the real longing. Why are they acting the way they're acting? There is a reason. Lord, reveal the hurt in this person so I can see what it takes to care for them. And Jesus will take care of the rest. Including the answering for the persecution. Including their salvation. I was reading... um, Stay Salty, I think is what's called, or Stay, Stay Salt is what it's called. It's by the gal that wrote uh, Out of the Salt Shaker into the World, and she was uh, giving an illustration about um gal doing her nails, and she's gone to her for two years, and she's about ready to go back to Michigan, and she's over in um, England, and she's getting her nails done, and she's like, Lord, I've tried, I've done this. She gives it up to the Lord, and she goes into this magazine rack. She's going to grab the top magazine, and God says, grab the second one. So she grabs the second one after some struggle there. She goes into the chair. She opens up to this picture, and she keeps going back to this picture. And she's like, well, why are you going back to this picture? And she's like, I don't know. I just seem like I recognize this girl. It's like, you recognize somebody in the magazine? And right there, it clicked to her. She knew exactly who it was. She knew it was in Vogue magazine. It was a cover photo, and they'd taken it and put it into this ad. And she knew, she knew the person personally, and she knew her walk and how she came to know the Lord. While she had tried to share the gospel with this girl several times, and she wouldn't listen, but once she understood that this model knew Jesus, she wanted to know who Jesus was too. And God opened that door and an opportunity that she thought was lost. She came back from Michigan uh, to get her nails done again over to England, back into the mission field. And she went to that nail salon to talk to the girl that she had talked to. And she found out that she had an opportunity to move away. And she was able to, that was her last opportunity that she was able to get to her. And she was able to leave her with some books that pointed her in the right direction. So we need to hold firm to the faith that we have in Jesus Christ, that Jesus is our salvation, he is their salvation. Verse 10, because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. God is our shield. God is our shield. How do we go into the world? Are we afraid of the world or are we afraid of the Lord? Are we afraid of our circumstances or are we afraid of our standing and our salvation and our obedience? So I have six quick things that I'm pulling from Matthew chapter 10. What's in Matthew chapter 10? Matthew chapter 10 has the story where Jesus sends out the 12 disciples. And he gives them, most of it is his commands. This is how you should go. There are commands. Go like this, go like this, go like this. He sends them out with these six instructions. I'm sure there's more, but these are the six that I pulled um, from a speaker at CDYC. I'm pretty sure it was... uh, Bob Laurent, but I'm not 100% sure. But this is one of the first times I ever wrote my Bible, and this is what I came up with. Number one, go full of joy. We have the answer, don't we? Joy is our testimony. When we have the peace that passes understanding, it results in joy, and 
when we put Jesus first, others second, and you last, you have a servant-style attitude that people long to be around. We have the answer. It should be written all over you. Number two, go angry. Not at the sin, not even necessarily at the sinner. I mean, go angry at the sin, not at the sinner. But not necessarily blatantly anger, right? Because you can't bottom line it. When you get angry at sin, sometimes we want to bottom line it. We need to walk and explain it. They've never done it. They don't know. They, they thought society said it was all right. Society is their truth, and therefore it is true. But when society is not true... You have to explain your standard. We need to be angry at sin. We need to be angry at death. We need to be angry at demons and disease. When Jesus healed, he was always angry. When he raised Lazarus from the grave, he was angry at death. And then he says, remove those grave clothes which is another thing that we just saw in, a, in Revelation chapter 2, I believe it was. Go alertly, shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Go alertly, so be on your toes. Go boldly. Do not worry what to say or what to do. The Holy Spirit will provide. When you're walking in step with the Holy Spirit, He will walk in step with you. Make sure you are right before a holy God. Go boldly. Don't worry about what to say. Go prepared. Number five, we, have, we may lose friends and family, but hold firm to the truth. Sometimes when they put up a stance that this is, well, I'm not even going to have anything to do with you, it's because they want to see how much conviction is there. And finally, Go confidently. Don't be afraid of earthly consequences. Don't be afraid of what the world may do to you, but be afraid of the one who can destroy both the body and the spirit, which is God. We have a mission. We have a commander. And when we submit to that, we also submit to his authority and to his power. And there are consequences when we don't do what he says. People, Satan is after this young generation. Pray for the youth of White Rose. Pray for your pastor. I would really appreciate that. Um, as you know, I am broken, and um, only God can keep me walking straight. Hold Firm. Let's finish off the verse. Very short application after that. I'm coming soon. Hold, hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name, and anyone who has ears must listen to the Spirit and understand what he has says to the churches. Talking about the new name. John likes to give a preview for what's to come. He's previewing 
when we get a new name, I believe it's in Revelation 22, but he mentions it here, so we're ready for it when he draws that conclusion later on, okay? He talks about uh, a town that was destroyed. Well, Philadelphia was destroyed in an earthquake and things, and so they understand this they understand the, the gateway concept, that the door, the doorway into a new uh, kingdom. They understand that because they were the doorway for Rome into these new areas. They, they had so much influence that they changed one of the other kingdom's languages to Greek because that's how much influence the town of Philadelphia had. Okay, Those are all nice and fun things to know, but these also show the character of God. When we have... The true character of God, it will go out into these other people, our, our community, as ambassadors, as truths that they can't steer away from because our God is a big, big God. His reward is out of this world. Remember, Jesus promises a reward. It might not be instant, but God holds true to his promises, and he created, and think about it, he created imagination. So what you can think of, he created that, and so he can think way bigger than you can, right? How big is heaven? How awesome is heaven? I don't know. I know it's going to be awesome. I know it's probably going to be bigger and better than I can imagine. I also know that I want to get to heaven, walking in righteousness. I want to get there and be able to present, in a sense, like a portfolio to my heavenly Father and say, here's what I was able to do in your name. Not for me, but for you. And he will say, either depart from me, you did all that for yourself, or well done, thou good and faithful servant. Right? Because I've obeyed. I've walked in obedience. We need to listen and meditate and pray on God's word. Develop our relationship between God and us. And then you will be able to understand your relationship between you and another sinner. Because you have just an itty bitty glimpse of holiness in your life. And you've been able to beat some of the sins that they struggle with, God has all the holiness and he beat all the sins, right? Remember, God is bigger than us. Even in this fallen world, the level of respect for God is much greater than you or I. What do you mean by that, pastor? If you think about it, people have to defend or prove that God is or isn't more than they ever have to prove that Pastor Shane ever is or isn't. If they don't agree with God, they have to take a long time to disprove that there is a God, proving, guess what, that there is a God, because they have to try to disprove him. In their battle to say that there isn't a God, they've proved that there is a God. They just don't see it in their arrogance, right? That's, that's tough. That's tough. It's, that's what, one of the reasons that ultimately led C.S. Lewis to Christianity. It was moral law 
the, a little bit had to do with creation, but trying to disprove God, why do we have a need to disprove God if there isn't a God to disprove? And he's like, oh, dang it. <laughs> and he became a Christian. Shortly after that, he delved into it and dug it out, and the guy's way smarter than I am and uh, became it. Uh, if you want to read that book, it's Mere Christianity. It's a great, great, great book. Um, I encourage you to read that. Every Christian should read that. So God, so what authority do I have over anything or anyone? None. Except that which Christ gives me because he died on the cross. Therefore, I have all authority. That is crazy. Crazy. Because I have a relationship with Jesus, I am now an adopted son or daughter of the Savior. I therefore get his authority as well. I turn to him in prayer when I'm not sure. I turn to his word to give me the next step, to show me the guidelines and how I should live, and he will provide all I need. Not necessarily all I want, because I want a lot of things but he will provide all I need. Amen? We must hold firm to the faith we have found in Christ Jesus by pursuing these characteristics about God found in the church of Philadelphia. Our God is a big God. Our God is our shield. Our God is their salvation. God is battle ready. And God is holy and true. Whew. Just about lost that thing there. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your characteristics and that you hold up under the scrutiny of, of a very cynical eye and you come out on top. You are a God who loves us. You are a God who cares for us. You are a God who wants more for us than we could ever ask, imagine, or even think of. How, how could we get here, Lord? It's only because of you. You are an amazing, amazing God. And you sent a son that cares for us. And you want to have a relationship with me? You want to have a relationship with this world? Lord, it starts like this. Lord, I'm a sinner. I want you to come into my life, clean my heart out, clean my life, and start a, a relationship with me today. I thrive to go after you in prayer and in your word. Direct me in, in your path. Lord, we thank you for our, your wonderful word. We thank you that we're able to meet. Um, we thank you for um, dying on the cross to rescue us from this present evil age. Guide and direct us. Lead us and protect us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Remember what God has done for you. Remember this Easter, to invite somebody so that they know um, what God's done for them.